certainly gives a new meaning to standing before an audience of one. Um, This is a a sermon that uh, I had uh, written out uh, for the 9 o'clock service uh, some weeks ago and and never had a chance to preach. And um, the timing just so happened to work out that um, I'm able to uh, preach this word to us uh, today. And it's a, a series that I started called Praying with Paul. And, and you may ask the question, why, why a sermon series uh, entitled that? You have heard us discuss the vision uh, of the church over the last year or so. We have talked about what it means to belong. Belonging is such an important part of the life of the believer. And you're probably feeling that now more than ever. But belong or belonging, it's really a loaded word. Because all that is entailed in that is everything that we long to be as the people of God. The idea is that we can, uh, that we as a a people, as a church, and as individuals, as, as Christians, belong to God. He is our creator. He is our sustainer. He is our beginning and our end. And when the trumpet sounds and the end of days comes, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And as God's chosen people, we want to be people that are doing that now. We want to be people who are submitting ourselves to Christ Jesus now. We want to be people who are serving Christ Jesus now. We want to be people who are growing in him now. And we know that we, are, we were not created to be on our own. God has given us fellow believers who are, who are all heading in that same trajectory And so as we belong to Christ, we also belong to one another as a body of believers. And what is our goal as a body of believers? We want to grow in maturity of Christ. We want to grow in Christ-likeness. We we just completed, uh, several weeks ago, we completed a series on 2 Timothy where, where we're seeing how Paul is showing Timothy what it, is, what, what it looks like to grow in Christ-likeness. In fact, later in this letter uh, to the church in Colossae, Paul says, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's Paul's goal as an apostle, to present these people as mature in Christ. And I think it's still a good one for us today. And Paul models all of that in his prayers for the churches. He gives us a a theological foundation, and then he shows how his prayer life builds upon that. If you want to take a look, if you want to take a peek into how someone's walk with the Lord is going, how their maturity in in Christ is progressing. All you have to do is is to take a look into their prayer life. 
We want to be people, as we've already said, we want to be people who are growing in Christ-likeness. And we want to be people who are growing in their dependence on God. All that to say, that is why I'm preaching this message. And so we're going to dive into Paul's prayer for the Colossians, that we would unearth the the gems that comes from God's word uh, that, that he has for us as his people. So let me pray for us briefly. Father, things are constantly changing. News and information and and all these things are are on a minute-to-minute basis. And so in the midst of such flux and chaos and, and change, we are grateful for you, the unchanging one. We're grateful that we can look at your word written so long ago, and yet it is living and active, and it is doing its work, and it is applicable to our lives today, no matter our circumstances, no matter what we face. But Father, we know that we have to have ears to hear and minds to receive and hearts to believe what it is that is being said to us. And so, Father, we pray that this morning that you would give us teachable hearts and minds, that you would give us listening ears to hear from your word. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul tends to have this model of telling the churches what he is thankful for and then what he is praying for them. His prayer starts out, for this reason. And then he, what precedes that, what comes before that, is that Paul is giving thanks to God for the good news of the faith in the Colossian church. That that gospel that was brought to them was bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as this virus is going worldwide, so the gospel is spreading worldwide. That they have understood grace. And then his prayer for them flows from that thanksgiving. And that prayer reflects a lot of what he is thankful for. There's an important aspect of thanksgiving that I think we can easily fall off track with. Notice that what Paul gives thanks for is the works of grace in the lives of the believers. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 3, He is giving thanks for their faith in Jesus Christ, their love that they have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for them in heaven in verses 4 and 5, the fruit that they were bearing in verse 6. And the outflow of this thanksgiving is tied to what he prays for them. So he says, we are thankful to God for your faith. So we pray God fill you with the knowledge of his will, verse 9, which builds your faith. We are thankful to God for your love because of your hope laid in heaven. So we pray God give you special wisdom and understanding again, verse 9, which continually reminds you of that hope and that future. We are thankful to God for the fruit you are bearing. So we pray God help you bear more fruit. There are these direct ties between his his thanks and his prayer requests. 
something I don't think I consciously consider much. I, I, I tend to give thanks for the things that I'm thankful for, and then I just move on to whatever requests that I have that I want to present. And, and they're not usually connected with each other. And sometimes Thanksgiving is totally forgotten. Uh, Warren Wearsby, in his commentary on Colossians, tells of a, a ministry student in Illinois uh, who was part of a, a life-saving squad. And in 1860, there was a, a ship that ran aground on the shores of Lake Michigan. And uh, a student by the name of uh, Edward Spencer, he, he waded in again and again into the frigid waters of, of Lake Michigan. And he rescued 17 passengers of this ship. In the process, his health was permanently damaged. And, and some years later, at his funeral, it was noted that not one of the people who, whom he had saved attended that funeral or even thanked him. Thanksgiving often sets my mind before I make my requests. It, it helps me focus uh, and it even sometimes changes my attitude uh, for, for whatever it is that I'm about to pray. Now, what is it that we're learning from Paul's prayer this morning? Praying for knowledge and perseverance. We all want to know the will of God for our lives, don't we? How often have I heard people say, you know, I just want to do the will of God. I just want to do the will of God. When presented with uh, which university to attend, when presented with, with you know, several job opportunities, when, when facing decisions of what city to live in or, or facing decisions about large purchases or, or in days like today, like what to do when there is global chaos. We want to know God's will for us. Now, none of these things, of course, are bad in and of themselves. There are certainly ways in which God leads us in some of these things. And there's certainly a, a, a wanting to be sensitive to that. But I think we tend to stress more over the decisions themselves than over how we will be in those things. If I go to that college, will I look for good godly community or will I just look for, you know, the party scene? Uh, if I go with uh, this job over that one, will God be displeased with me and punish me? Uh, the last sermon I did in this series, we were looking at the sovereignty of God in relationship to all these things. And the thing is that, that God's not sitting in heaven thinking, you know, man, he chose the wrong job. I thought I made it abundantly clear I wanted him to go with the other job. God will teach us lessons with any of those decisions. That's not the issue here, though. That way of thinking, it encourages us to think that God's will is primarily in terms of my future, my vocation, my needs. And that is often another form of self-centeredness. And it takes away from how the Bible primarily speaks about the Lord's will. Consider these passages. Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. 
To do the will of God in this passage is virtually synonymous with obeying what God has mandated. What God has mandated is his will, and our responsibility is to do it. The psalmist doesn't encourage us to to find God's will. He assumes it is already known. Rather, he is concerned with the performance of that will. When he says, teach me, he, he doesn't say, teach me your will. He says, teach me to do your will. Paul exhorts the, the, the Christians in Rome, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The assumption being that the, the, the transformation of character and conduct brought about by the renewal of the Christian's mind is precisely what equips such a Christian to test and approve God's will. That is, to discover personally and experientially that his ways are best. I can testify to this. When I conform to the pattern of the world, I am not considering God's will. My desire, I, I, I'm thinking about my own will, I'm thinking about my own desires, but, but, but when I have renewed my mind through prayer, through spending time studying God's word, and I consider God's will, then I see with, with great clarity why God has called us to act in certain ways. When my wife and I are having a, um, a vigorous discussion about something, I am often con- I'm, I'm often not considering what God's will is. I want to make my point because it is a darn good one. And that is important to me. Even though it is very often not a good one or an important one. But if I have considered how I am to treat my wife, if I have thought about what it means to love my wife, I can lay my weapons down and not say the inflammatory thing that I know will set her off. I can say the gentle thing. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, it is God's will that you should be Sanctified, And again, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is silly to pretend to seek God's will for your life in terms of a marriage partner or, or, or some form of Christian vocation when there is no deep desire to pursue God's will as he has already kindly revealed it. And he's revealed it to us by his spirit as we see in the second part of verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1. That's what Paul is praying for this Colossian church. Partly because there's always the threat of syncretism and pluralism of the day. We so often want to, um, we don't want to stand apart we don't want to look too different. 
The danger is in potentially reducing Christ in any capacity. And so Paul is praying against these things by praying that they would grow in the knowledge of God's will. In fact, in the next chapter, Paul tells the Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Paul prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of the will of God, a knowledge that consists of of wisdom and knowledge of all kinds at a spiritual level. How else will they withstand the pressures of the surrounding pagan culture? How else will they think like Christians and bring their minds and their hearts and conduct into conformity with God's will? We desperately need that time with the Lord to be refreshed to be reminded of who we are in Christ, to be reminded of what we have been called to, that if we set apart Christ in our hearts, he will set us apart as his people, as 1 Peter says. Apart from that, we're operating under a false premise of who God is and what his will is. What a blessing to know God's will for your life. To to know what he desires of us as his people because that is Paul's next point in the prayer. To walk in a manner worthy and pleasing to God. Paul prays these things so that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Talk about setting the bar high, but the bar is high. Because we are called to live a life in conformity with Christ and to live a life pleasing to him. But we do not neglect the grace that has been poured out for us. We we understand our human sin nature, but we don't take grace as license to sin. So we are neither legalistic nor antinomian or or hyper-grace when it comes to how we treat our Lord. Thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us in the dark. And he gives us some characteristics of what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of God and pleasing to him. Four characteristics. First, Christians bear fruit in every good work. Yes, Christians are saved by grace through faith so that no one can boast. But God's free grace in our lives has a purpose for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians chapter 2. The kinds of of good works and the fruitfulness will vary from believer to believer. Um, Even in the parable of the soils in Mark chapter 4, the soils have varied productivity. But Paul cannot imagine anyone being pleasing to Christ apart from fruitfulness in good works. So what are these fruits, these good works? Well, 
It's living a life pleasing to the Lord. It's obeying what God has commanded. It's loving God and neighbor. It's having love for the family of God when it's easy and when it's hard. It's being willing to lay down our lives for one another. Now, of course, we cannot do that on our own. So our union with Christ is vital for bearing fruits like these. And it links to our next point, increasing in the knowledge of God. It's funny, Paul prays that the Colossians would uh, be filled with the knowledge of God uh, to the end that they might live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. And it sounds redundant or repetitive. What he's saying is that in order to grow and live a life worthy of Christ, we must learn about God's will in order that we can obey God's will, in order that we may live a life pleasing to him. And and obedience is the moving factor. I can say personally, as I have grown in, in the knowledge of God's will, one, it has showed me Greater, with greater depth, my own sin, but at the same time, his grace. And as I grow, I, I, I seek to follow him better and, and more nearly, which shows me more knowledge of him. And it's a continuous growing. It, it, it's... It's not that I reach this point where I just stop, where I've, I've reached my capacity. We, we never do. Uh, even, even for Paul, you know, again, back in, uh, if you look at 2 Timothy, right before Paul's about to die, and he, what does he ask Timothy to bring? He says, bring my Bible and bring my study notes. It never ends. We're constantly growing in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, in the wisdom and knowledge of him. The third point, we're strengthened to display endurance and patience. Now, these are not qualities that are cherished in our world today, are they? Well, although if you're on lockdown for the next few weeks, as I am, uh, these might quickly be becoming more cherished. But I know that when I say them to you as as a body of believers, you feel the desire that God would give you that strength to display endurance and patience in abundance. These virtues enable the believer to survive with joy when persecuted or in troubled times like today, to to triumph in in composure and contentment when insulted, uh, to trust God's all-wise and all gracious providence when one is suffering like Job. When Jesus sees these virtues in us, he's pleased. But we know that these virtues are in us because of Jesus. The the transformation that growing in the knowledge of him brings looks like that. Fourthly, joyfully giving thanks to the Father 
He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Often we need to remind ourselves of what it is we are saved from and what we have been saved to. Perspective is, is, it's a great asset as it relates to thanksgiving. We can forget that we needed saving, that we were incapable of saving ourselves, we, we begin to think we, we, we still need to earn our salvation with God. We trick ourselves to thinking God has given us a little boost, now it's up to us. No. No, it's, all, it's his work. All of it is his work from cradle to grave. He does the work of salvation. The question is, what will be our response to it? Paul prays constantly for these Christians that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Then he tells them the purpose of his prayer. He wants them to live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him. And Paul assumes that such a life is Utterly impossible unless there is a growing and spiritual grasp of what God's will is. So Christians, consider the work that he has prepared in advance for you. Consider the knowledge that he has made available for you of himself. Consider the strength of endurance and patience that he wants to equip you with. When these things come together, we are overjoyed. We are overjoyed at what God has done for us through Christ. We cannot help but be overjoyed with praise and thanksgiving. If you are sitting at home, and you are wondering where God is in all of this mess and all of the, the chaos and the confusion, he is revealing himself to you through the preaching of his word. He is revealing himself to you through his holy scriptures, th through the body of believers that you interact with while socially distancing. He is drawing you to himself so that you will grow in the knowledge of him, that he alone will be your comfort and strength, and he will equip you with all that you need for the good days and the hard days, for the ups and the downs, that we would live lives that are pleasing to him, belonging to him belonging together. Let's pray. Father, isolation uh, can be a dangerous thing because there can be times where we think uh, we're only dependent on ourselves and we can manage this. And so, Father, we ask that you would stir within us the knowledge that this is not what we were created for, that you would put in us a longing to be together, a longing to grow in the knowledge of you, of what you have done through your son, that we would be growing in 
the wisdom that comes from your spirit. Father, that you would equip us with everything we need to live the lives that are holy and pleasing to you. For we know that you have already equipped us with those things through Christ. And so really we're praying, Father, that you would give us minds to see and understand that. That we know that we can come to you even in these darkest of days asking that you would provide. Asking that you would provide more of yourself to us. And that we as your people would so overflow with that that it would spill out over into the communities in which you have sovereignly placed us in. And that in dark days, people would see the body of believers and see joy in the midst of chaos and see hope and see salvation because we have not put our hope in the things of this world, but we're looking forward to an eternity with you. So Father, we pray these things We ask them all in the gracious name of Christ. Amen.